broadcasting from the campus of Lynn Benton Community College. We are the Mid-Valley STEM CTE Hub. I'm your host, Casey, and this, this is Closing the Gap. listeners welcome back to closing the gap today we have someone a little different on the show it's not a normal stem or manufacturing or skilled trades guest um rather this is a person that works in education they are a literature professor at lynn benton community college and they also teach literature at oak creek correctional facility today we are talking to dr ramesia mcgee and um, this is a really special episode, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So uh, let's jump in. Hey, Ramisi, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Okay. Can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do, um, specifically with your work at Oak Creek? Sure. Um, so I'm Dr. Ramisi McGee. I am originally from Chicago. I'm from the west side of Chicago, inner city, which is now known as like the West Loop, but back then it was not known as that at all. Um, and I teach English here at LBCC. I'm in the English and Literature Department. I'm a, and through my work here, actually, is how I started teaching at Oak Creek. We have a relationship with them and a partnership with them at LBCC that I think dates back way before I actually got here. And when I came on my interview, um, at the time, there was a dean. Katie Winder was the dean. And she mentioned this teaching at this youth correctional center. And immediately, I was like, oh, my God, I want to do that. I want to do that. Because I had been in my professional goals thinking about how I could do that. And I wasn't even thinking on a youth. I was thinking like adult prisons, if you will. And so when the opportunity arised and I put it in my work plan, um, I – jumped at it. I wanted to do it. And um, it's been really rewarding. Um, Also kind of challenging at times. But um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the students over there. And mostly it's the girl it's girls because it's young ladies. And I enjoy working with them. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a really rewarding experience for sure. What kind of inspired you to to step into this world of working with incarcerated people? Well, You know, I'm not sure if it's even an inspiration. I think it was just something that I wanted to do because I think a lot. Well, I guess it is inspiration. I think a lot of times we forget about those students who are unfortunately in a um, non-traditionally college position. Right. They're incarcerated. They're behind bars. They've obviously done something to get them locked away. And I think a lot of times we don't think about them. And I mean, we as a society, right? Um, And I think sometimes um, they just kind of get lost in the shuffle or there are specific things that they are labeled with, Um, you know, the throwaways or the bad students or unmotivated, you know, troublemakers, whatever those bad stereotypes are. Um, And so for me, I had worked with um, a nonprofit organization in Chicago called Youth Action Fund, and that was a, for students who were um, not incarcerated, but these were like um, after-school programming. And so they already have access to this stuff, right? 
And but then when I started teaching, I was teaching in the continuing education department and I was working with students from an alternative high school. And so I think now that I think about it, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think that's probably where it kind of started to, you know, I don't know, mature or come into my brain about working with this kind of population. But I always knew I wanted to um, just because, I mean, and it's a great, honestly, it's a great opportunity um, and it helps to broaden outside of the classroom, the, and I mean, quote classroom, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I believe in getting out of the four walls and taking our message and our academia to the streets. And part of that is working in a place like Oak Creek. For sure. What, what's the benefit of an education to a person like this in a situation? I mean, even like education on a broader scale, um, because sometimes I feel like we, we don't talk about like why it's important to, you know, get someone a higher education, even if they are, you know, spending a lifetime in bars or just, you know, most of their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think education is a pathway to um, something better. Right. And I'm not just talking about traditional education, like going to high school and college and post-secondary education. I mean, education in life. I am a lifelong learner. I never stop learning. And I know that sounds strange to some people. Um, like, you got a doctorate, you're still going to go. And, and I've had people ask, like, are you going to get a postdoc? The answer is, hell no, I'm not looking into doing that. However, who knows, right, what the future holds. But I think that education is a vehicle to a brighter something whatever that something is. Because um, traditional education is not for everyone or everyone doesn't find a lot of joy in it um, or finds it challenging in a way that they didn't expect. And for me, I use education as a way to um, carry something or someone over to the next step, right? And I think being in um uh, students who are incarcerated and taking classes, they already wanted to do that, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, but life circumstances happen. No one grows up and says, I want to go to jail. For sure. Or I want to break in a car. Or I want to sell and do drugs. Nobody says that. And if they do, do, I've never heard it. So life happens and circumstances happens that lead people down to roads that they didn't think that they would. And so I think that the potential is always there. The inkling is always there. But sometimes there's so many environmental external factors that you can't even concentrate on receiving or obtaining or going after some kind of education. And so I think the students who are in positions like that I think that they have always wanted it, but other things came into play. And so they, they're, some, some of them are even more um, hungrier than they were. And then there are those the students who are just there because it's part of the rep, you know, mandate. They have to do it, right? And, I mean, that's no different from students that come here, who come to a traditionally um, classroom, right? They're only here sometimes because their parents said this is where you need to go or this is what society says they need to do and they don't have any other plans. So I just want to go to college or school. So I think that that happens on both sides. Um, but I also think, again, something is already there. It's something percolating. 
Sure. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It's something that's itching that needs that scratching. <laughs> and, sure. and you might not know what it is, but your thirst for knowledge happens. Mm-hmm. You know, because you just you just I know for me when I, I, I didn't go to school for teaching, that was never my thing. Um, I used to play like, you know, teacher with my cousins. I mean, who didn't? Right. right. Um, and I was always the teacher and I was always giving out homework to my younger cousins and teddy bears or whatever. But um, I went to school to be a journalist, mm-hmm. radio journalism, you know, and that's what I wanted to do. And I was like, I'm gonna be the next Oprah, you know, and totally. and that still can happen, by the way. <laughs> Um, but then, you know, my path was, um, I don't want to say disrupted. It was, um, changed, um, in a way that was so beneficial and so rewarding that I didn't, I don't think I would enjoy journalism as much as I enjoy teaching because it's something about when you see students' eyes light up and concepts are swirling in their brain and then they're able to regurgitate that information and exceed your expectation and their own. And you're like, shit, like, they got it. Right. And you can sit back and be like, man, how, how, I mean, it's instantaneous. I, I mean, when I first started teaching, it was, when I, the first classroom I was in with those continuing education students, the minute I started talking, they was kind of soaking it up. And I was immediately turned on. I was immediately like, oh, my God, this is where I belong. This is what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. I am literally in my purpose. And and I can still bring journalism in, right, because we can still read about the news. We can still, you know, listen to podcasts and movies so I can still do media. So it's a good marriage in that way. For sure. For sure. Mm. Um, so I heard that you have a really popular <laughs> class on campus teaching <laughs> African-American literature and that's what you're also teaching Oak Creek, right? Yes. I teach at Oak Creek too. Yeah. So what is the benefit of, for these kids of that specific um, genre of literature or like, like what are these kids like, why is this important? And like, why, why are we teaching this over maybe something um, a little more mundane, mm-hmm. like composition or, because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love it. it the um, It's just, it's, it's much more different than I would have thought or expected um, the curriculum at a place like Oak Creek to be. Yeah. Uh, we got enough time. <laughs> Um, I just I want to say that I think the benefits of taking any literature class that is not from a white perspective or, you know, white privileged perspective is beneficial to anyone. And part of that is because it just gives you it should give you a better worldview. It should change how you navigate spaces. It should give you more empathy and more compassion. It should give you more understanding when you're taking any type of literature classes that are not from your point of view. Mm-hmm. So let me just say that. That's for anybody. For sure. For students that in such a space like Oak Creek, they may not think about these sorts of things. They may not know that they may be victims or are victims of a systematic system. I hate that. That sounds weird. But a, a system that has been in place to in my opinion, sometimes strip them of their dignity, their hope, and their pride in who they are, right? Right. 
And so I want them to start thinking about that, but also from outside of their skin. Because let's be very clear, Oregon is a very white place, okay? Which means Oak Creek is a very white place. Now, we may have a couple students who are black or um, Latinx or other persons of color, but it's not that many, Mm -hmm. okay? And so when you're in a space like that, one, you're already locked down with people who don't look like you, who do not share the same experiences that you do culturally, ethic, uh, ethnicity-wise, or experience-wise. And I'm going to just say this, as a black woman, my work will always be from the lens of a black woman, no matter what I do, because that is my experience in this country. That is my experience in this college that is my experience in this state mm-hmm. okay and that is my experience even at you know teaching at oak creek so in an effort to um assist young women in that place who looks like me i want that that's that's why this class is being offered mm-hmm. it is to get them out of their comfort zone it is to make them feel uncomfortable right because i think when you feel uncomfortable you are growing for sure and so having this class that's not about let's just write a paper and tell me what you think. I want you to think further. I want you to push the envelope. I want you to ask questions. I want you to do background research. I want you to read more about certain things and certain people because it is a part of, and it's not just history. What happened in historically sometimes can be a mirror and a precursor and a warning to what is currently happening if we are not careful. Mm-hmm. Okay, it can be a cautionary tale. And so for students in a space like that who can read and escape these physical bars and go out mentally in a space that they've never been before is why that's important. Mm -hmm. It just broadens that worldview. So when they are released, okay, they are able to have conversations about situations that happen historically to black folks they are able to have more empathy for black folks in this country they are able to be exposed to information that they otherwise probably never had heard of right Mm -hmm. and then it just helps because you can actually engage in conversation because you've taken this class you know better Mm -hmm. You can question some some people who may not have ever been exposed to it. And you can be able to say, I'm in a position of um, of knowledge. And from this knowledge, this is what I want to tell you. That the way you're thinking, while I understand your thinking, and sometimes you don't, but while I hear your thinking, mm-hmm. let me give you some additional things to think about. And so this provides a way of escape and it, it really provides a way of broadening their worldview and for them to even have empathy for the black young ladies that are in that position with them. For sure. Right. Because, you know, when it's all said and done, they can have this, quote, criminal background. But the young woman who's white, she still is operating in a place of privilege. For sure. And when the young lady who comes out that's black, she is not. And they can have the same crimes or the same misdemeanors or the same whatever. But it is a difference, right? It is a difference. And when we talk about um, women's rights and things like that and the suffragettes and feminism, that had nothing to do with black women. Right. Okay? (laughs) Let's be clear. Um, It should have. 
mm-hmm. because black women were wanting to, and but you know, sometimes white women were in their own way. I mean, we think about it, black men had the right to vote before white women. That right there should have been a light bulb. Like, no, we need to work with these. We need to work with them, exactly. these sisters. We need to work with them. And so I think having a class like that where they can question, they can think, they can dialogue, they can read, and they can just, again, I, I have to say it again, just broadens that worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, they get out of their own way. You cannot possibly think that Oregon is the only place. Cannot possibly think that only uh, that a certain amount of black people went through that in the South and it didn't happen anywhere else. You can, I don't want you to think that way. And if you do think that way, let me show you why that's incorrect. And I got proof. Okay. I got evidentiary support as a journalist. I know about evidentiary support. I have that. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know that. And I want you to continuously read on. Don't let this be um, the only thing, but if it is the only thing, I want you to delve into it deep. And that is why having a class like that at a place like that, because a lot of the stories of black folks, unfortunately, are oppressive. Mm-hmm. And they themselves may feel oppressed in a place like Oak Creek. Maybe not to a certain same degree, but there is some oppression. But there's also, a, and there's also, unfortunately, a lot of pain in African-American lit- literature and a lot of struggle. But there's also a lot of resiliency and beauty and love and growth and connection and commu- all of that which they can all have in Oak Creek mm-hmm. and when they leave. So it is, it's really a, a, just a fascinating way to, um, to just to get them thinking, you know, critically thinking. Yeah. Critically sure. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I can see why that's a great topic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, fun. before this, I had uh, read some articles about you specifically that other LB people, had written and it, you're really living up to the high. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you. I I try. <laughs> yeah, no, very inspiring. Oh, like, thank you. Going over here. Oh, I appreciate that, Casey. I appreciate it. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to ask you about um, education at Oak Creek: Is it possible for students to go through all these classes that they offer there and come out with a degree? I believe so. Yes. Yes, it is. Awesome. We I, I had a student who was uh, who graduated my first time teaching over there. Um, she was graduating. Awesome. Uh, her name is Marisol. And I was still keeping in contact with her all the way up until last year. And I'm sure I still got her email. And if I reached out, I'm sure she'd respond. Cool. Um, and another student who was getting ready to go to OSU. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, totally. And I and they invited me to the graduation. And I was like, of course I will come. And they were just beaming. And it was quite a few um, LBCC grads. I think it was like two or three because they had on different colors, mm-hmm. different color um, cap and gown. Awesome. So. I mean, what an accomplishment. It's like really overcoming the odds of, you know, I feel like people can look at a situation like getting um, incarcerated and think it's like, that's it. But being able to like come out with a degree and like be able to like prove like, you know, I, this time wasn't wasted. That's right. I have grown and I and I can do it. And it it instills a sense of pride in them as well. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a self-esteem booster and endorphin booster for sure. Yeah. <laughs> they even walk different. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they talk different and. And and not afraid of, of the potential that's in front of them, not afraid to go for it. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. So you're a really busy person. Not only <laughs> do you teach um, at LB in Oak Creek, and um, you're running also for the Albany City Council, right? Yes, girl. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that I thought was the most interesting when I was doing my research on you is that um, you're the founder of a um, scholarship foundation, right? Mm-hmm. The Second Chance mm-hmm. Opportunity Scholarship. Mm-hmm. So could you tell me a little bit about how that got started? Yeah, and... Um... It is, I just, I, every time I think about it, I just like get like, woo. Um, so the Valencia Cooper Second Chance Scholarship Opportunity Award is named in memory of my mom. Um, she passed away uh, eight years ago in 2013, had a heart attack at 51. She was very young. And um, during my mother, my mother was um, a recovering addict Um and she also spent like three months in jail uh, when I was in high school. Um, and my mother believed and had lived through lots of second chances. And when I was working at Oak Creek, I was like, man, I, I had told my brother that I wanted to do something in memory of our mom like years ago. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I knew that God would give me, if he gave me the vision, he would make it come, come to, to fruition. I knew it was already planted in my heart, but what I wanted to do, I didn't know exactly. But I knew I wanted to do something regarding education because um, my mother was a pillar of education. Um, and so when she, when I was working at Oak Creek, I was like, wow, what better way to give back? Why don't I start a scholarship? And this was what I told my brother. I was like, why don't I start a scholarship in mommy's name um, for the young ladies at Oak Creek? Because my mother... Um, in her latter part of her life, she became a, a, a civil servant herself. She worked with women who were HIV positive and who were recovering addicts. And um, I was like, and, and knowing that my mom had spent three months in jail. Now, let's be clear. Three months may not be a lot to uh, some people, especially maybe people in Oak Creek. But <clears throat> but for someone who has never been in jail, three months sounds like three years. You know what I'm saying? And... I thought to myself, I said, I told my brother, I said, I think I want to do it and I want to have it specifically dedicated to the young women at Oak Creek Youth Correctional Center. And my brother was like, that's a good idea. I'm, I'm with it. Let's do it. And from that, um, I launched it September 5th, 2020. And September 5th is the day uh, our mom passed away. And I sent it to the folks at Oak Creek, the principal, Joy, the superintendent over there, I forget his name. And... Um, and I just asked my family and friends, and I just launched it, and people gave overwhelmingly. Mm-hmm. They, overwhelmingly. They just gave and gave and gave 25, 50, 100, 200, 150, 75. They just gave, right? And I got, a, you know, I had contacted the person to do the website. It's a, a, con- a company out in New York. Um, black owned and did my res- uh, did my website and they still continue to maintain it and um, so I but I wasn't getting any bites for like a year from anybody at Oak Creek and I was like what's going on and so they were like they weren't matriculating enough students out of Oak Creek 
And I wanted to get it in like this vision. I wanted to get it endowed like through LBCC. So it'd be a quick pipeline of someone who's coming out of Oak Creek because it was only for girls in Oak Creek who wanted to only come to LBCC. So that's I was thinking like this could be a pipeline for that. But there were a lot of um, factors in in reference to getting it endowed. First of all, you need a lot of money. And I didn't have that. And then um, there was another alternative. I forget uh, the foundation office told me about. But then it seems like they will have more control. And I'm like, well, no, this is my baby. This is my mom. This is my child. I'm going to see this through. And so I ended up um, after I didn't get any students from Oak Creek, the money was just sitting there. And I didn't want people to think like, oh, my God, she's just, you know, taking money and not doing anything with it or using it for other things. So I ended up changing the direction of it in 2021, making it available for any black student who would like to attend a community college in the state of Oregon. Awesome. And from that, we have awarded two scholarships. One, because um, we do them on term. So we do them in the fall term, mm-hmm. spring term, fall, fall, winter, and spring terms. So we award three scholarships a year. Oh. And so we've awarded um, one, a young lady who um, went here and OSU. She's a dual credit student. Nice. And then we awarded to a young lady at Portland State Community College who's a Haitian student, non-traditionally aged student. Um, and she wrote a beautiful thank you because she was thinking about dropping out because she said, you know, she didn't have any money and it was too hard. She's a single parent and she wants to be a nurse. And what when I developed the scholarship, I developed it because I developed it in a way to remove all the barriers. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to send the money to the school. I'm not going to put it on your student account. I'm going to send the money directly to you. Nice. And part of that, and it's a very simple application, and it's by, and that's by design. I just need to know your name, your major, the school you go to, and how this money can help you. That's it. Nice. You only have to write a 250-word to 500-word essay. Real simple about how it's going to help you. And my brother and I decide who will get the scholarship. And um, so the young lady we awarded in Portland, Portland Community College, she sent back and said, you know, she's going to drop out and all these things. But she said when she got the money, that was confirmation that she should stay. And I was like, wow. And and they're not big, big sums of money, but they're nice sums. And the thing about it is. I sent it directly to them because guess what? I remember being a student and you waiting for a refund, you waiting to get your money. Mm-hmm. If the money is sent directly to you, you may need to pay your rent. You may need to pay your phone bill. You may need to get groceries. You may need to buy your kids some diapers. You may need to buy lunch that day. I want you to have it in your You might need to buy a book for class that day that you cannot wait because you're behind. Right. And sometimes when we have all these systems in place and these barriers, you know, students get discouraged, like, man, it ain't came yet, or I'm, I'm falling behind. So if I send you the money directly by certified mail, you get it, that's it. Mm-hmm. You use it the way you see fit. Totally. And I'm not going to follow up with you asking, what did you do with that money? Because it's no longer mine. It's yours. It was awarded to you. For and sure. that's by design. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It is um, a student that was waiting on grants and stuff to come through. It's like, man, like, I really need to pay my rent right now. I really need to, you know, also pay my tuition right now. (laughs) I might want to go get my nails done. I need to feel good about myself. I might be having a bad day. I might want to go, you know, buy a journal. Mm -hmm. Hell, I might need to buy underwear. I need to buy socks. I need to buy winter coats. Right. 
Totally. And this is why it's just, I'm going to send it to you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to verify your address. I'm going to cut the check and I'm going to send it to you. Totally. I don't think also you touched on something. I don't think people talk enough about the self-care involved in like being a student, like and how important that is, like taking care of yourself and your mental health to, um, I don't know, just keep going. <laughs> I mean, and then when we talk about just mental health, I'm glad that you brought that up because a lot of men, we have co-pays. Mm-hmm. And the student like, well, I can't. I have my three free sessions, and I don't have any more money to go. But that's when you start probably really breaking ground. Mm-hmm. That money that I send you can pay for the next five copays. Your next, I mean, you know, your next five copays, your next five sessions, which then your other money can come. Like it's it's designed for that. Mm-hmm. The scholarship is designed to be very easy but extremely effective. Do you want to tell people how they can support this fund and, and also how students can um, apply to receive it? Absolutely. So you want to log on to drremesia.org and there's a donate button if you would like to donate. You can donate PayPal, Wave, Venmo, Cash App. Um, if you send a check, that's fine. There's an address there, but the electronic ways is, are the best. Um, and if you're a student and you want to apply, again, drremesia.org, and it says apply, and there's an application right there. And it gets sent to me, and once it's sent to me, I send you an um, email that says, hey, we have received your scholarship application. Um, our decision will be made, and we give you a date for that. So that's how you can you know, contribute. And just one other plug, it is now a 501c3. So whatever you send in, you can write it off. Awesome. So if somebody wants to send in $500, which I encourage <laughs> <laughs> very much so, um, you can do that. So out of all these things you've done so far in your career, what are you most proud of? That, that. I'm most proud of the scholarship because it was my brainchild and it was planted in my heart by God. And it is in memory of my mother who just is the inspiration in her own right and I know that she would be super happy and super thrilled and um you know it's just not a day that goes by that I don't think about her and and I don't because the more things you accomplish the more you want your parents here with you of course and uh I just it's a way I don't have children at least not yet um I have a dog my dog parent <clears throat> but I don't have human children and this is one way to continue the legacy of not only uh, my mother, but also myself. So Sure. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Um, I feel like what that's huge. Like, that's a huge thing to do and undertake. Um, yeah, I just, I love that. Yeah, thank you. And it's it's going good. Um, we got like seven applications for this, for the fall. And we'll be making our, my brother comes to visit me every November for Christmas since I've been living here for five years. I mean, not Christmas, Thanksgiving. And, um, and so that's when we look over all the applications, we make a decision, you know, and, and we go on. Um, and, and Leslie, who last year I was like, can you, I need to, I'm in a visa and I would like to send this application out to the only, all the black students here. And she gave me a filter that targeted only black students. And from that, I got about five applications. Excellent. So, you know, the school is even working with me. Um, Mm -hmm. and my goal after you know is to really have another scholarship uh for my mom but in chicago obviously where i grew up where she grew up and my family's from um and you know within less than 20 years there'll be gala and there'll be you know coming of the two our organ recipients our chicago recipients and 
you know, so I just have a vision, a long-term vision for the scholarship. Um, and then our father passed away uh, 2018, three days before Christmas. And so I I want to do my, – my dad was a tradesperson. Mm-hmm. And um, he was also a recovering addict. And so um, he worked as a, at the McCormick Place in Chicago as a teamster and forklifter and all that. So I would love to do something about trades. Um and I, I want to talk to my brother about it because I know he's going to be like, well, you did it for mommy. You let let me, you know, so I, I kind of want to talk to him and see what he thinks we should do and when we should do it. But I would like to do something in memory of my father, too. Um, and and I mean, the trades pay a lot of great money and my dad made amazing money and um, was an amazing man and believed in hard work for sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and demonstrated that daily in my life. Um, and so I would love to do something that is in memory of him. And so, but I'm trying to step back and let my brother kind of take the lead on it. Um, but <laughs> even if it's kind of like, I don't know if it would be a scholarship, that would be dope. But if it's like, you know, partnering with the trades company and they give like, you know, certificate of completion f- for free, you right. know, or something, something like that. So, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. I am always amazed by hearing like the salaries that uh, <sighs> students can start getting, like after like a two year program, like some of the ones that we have at LB. Um, just like, wow. That's, <laughs> that's oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I would love to get them in that right away. <laughs> for sure. And getting education can be really hard and, you know, for many reasons, um, as an educator, do you have any advice for students that are like having a hard time or maybe something that from your experience, you just know that students need to hear? You won't always feel this way, right? Um, what you are going through now is super temporary. It may feel intense and it is, but just know it will not always be this way. And that's just not even with school. That's a life thing. Like you, you know, you may feel like, oh, my God, I'm never going to get through this. And, oh, my God, this teacher hates me. And I, in turn, hate her or him. And school is just not for me. And and maybe, quote, traditional school is not for you. But education, life, life school is for you. And I just want you to know that that it doesn't always feel good. Um, but it is so worth it. It is super worth it because one thing about knowledge and information and education, no one can ever take it from you. They may say a lot of things about you. They may, uh, make up a lot of lies about you. They may not always support you, but trust me, that respect of your knowledge will always be there. That is something no one can take from you. Your brain, no one can take from you. Mm -hmm. What you know, 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 nobody can take from you. And that is, that is real talk. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Totally. Uh, So what's next for you? Any academic or professional goals that you're working towards? Yeah. (laughs) So I just actually submitted a, um, I've, I've, I submitted another book chapter, which got approved. So I'm just waiting in this call. The name of the book is going to be called What About or Don't Forget About Adjuncts. And I forget which chapter um, mine's his name because the guy just got back to me a couple, oh, 
some about a couple of months ago, but I haven't looked at it again because we're just in the waiting period of who's going to pick it up. Mm-hmm. So that um, is in the works. Nice. Um, I'm working on my memoir, which is in the works. And people are like, you're so young. Why should you? Because I don't got to be old and decrepit and retired to work on a memoir. I'm living proof. And, and this is memoir number one, right? This part of my life and, right. and whatever. Um, so that's, that's professionally um, and academically. I'm always applying for conferences and just apply for a conference at um, Clark College in Vancouver, um, the Northwest Regional Equity Diversity Conference. Uh, I went one year, sponsored by LBCC. Like they paid for us the DEI office when Javier Cervantes was the EDI director. Um, and I went and I loved it. And then the next year, me and my sorority sister, um, we had wrote a chapter on, in this book called um, Teaching Beautiful, Brilliant Black Girls. And the name of our chapter was Colorism in the Classroom. And so we presented on that. We wrote a proposal and presented at the at the Northwest Equity Conference, Regional Equity Conference last year. Mm-hmm. And so this year, I also wrote a proposal, and this one is about um, some research that I did at the at the college level here, um, which was creating um, black culturally centered assignments. And I worked with various faculty here from nursing all the way to biology to geosciences, you know, to, to obviously to English. And so um, I am presenting on that topic. Um, I just submitted that proposal, so I'm just waiting to hear back. And um, so that's academically and I guess professionally at the moment. Awesome. And obviously this city council piece is, is in there. And, um, and, and I think that's professional and personal for me. Um, so I'm working on that and we're a couple weeks or almost a week out from election day. So it's hopefully. I'm keeping my fingers crossed from you. Thank you very much. Hopefully I get the victory. And even if, and even if that's not the, traditional victory there has been a lot of victories in this process so awesome yeah my last question for you yeah <laughs> um it's threefold okay. what are you currently reading mm-hmm. your desert island book mm-hmm. and what's a book that you could recommend everyone read right and so i told casey that this was a hard question for me um and part of it is because the book i think everybody should read is a, a spiritual book because i am a spiritual person um so what I am currently reading is called, um, oh my gosh, um, I had a picture of it because I, I, I know the name, but I, want, I don't want to screw up the name. So let me just um, tell you. But what I think everyone should read, I'll move on to that question. Okay. It's a book by um, Bishop T.D. Jakes, who's out of Dallas, black black pastor, and um the name of the book is called uh, "The Crushing: When God Turns Pain, Pain into Power, or Power into Yeah, Pain into Power, or Pressure into Power, or something like that." But it's called "The Crushing," and it is an amazing book. And I read it, um, and and he uses, which is so dope. He uses um, the analogy of making wine, right? And it's one thing Oregonians can attest to is wine right. <laughs> right in the valley right it's wine country so it's so it's 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 very timely and and anybody really can read I don't think you have to be a spiritual person a spiritual person to read it I think whatever lens you're going from I think it's a really good book because it does talk about life struggles and how to kind of overcome them mm-hmm. and how to look at them it's not just a struggle but a, just challenges and opportunities um in that way so that is something I think everybody would enjoy reading um, 
And then this other one is what I'm currently reading right now, which is a book called You. <laughs> Actually, this is it. A book called You, and it's by Matthew um, Stephen Brown. And it is basically understanding the Enogram, if anybody's into like numbers and things like that, um, from a grace-filled biblical perspective. Cool. And it's a pretty dope book. So far, so good. And it's growing, like grow closer to God in other ways of understanding who you are um, and who you are made to be. So it's like a purpose-filled book because I am always about operating in my purpose. For sure. Um, or better yet, the purpose God has for me. Because my purpose might not be aligned with the purpose of the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but that that is it. Like knowing you're in your purpose, knowing you're in your season, knowing you're in your moments. And, and what can you do in that time, right? Because right. um, sometimes you don't feel like you're in a purpose or in your season. You feel like I'm just kind of going through the motion. But there are some times when you just know, you be like, gosh, I am really in my shit. Like I'm in my season. I am grinding. I'm thriving. And it doesn't feel burdensome. It really feels good. That's how you know. So I I think this book is good. And and it doesn't go into all of that per se, but that is sort of the overview of it. For sure. And, um, so is that's, that's what I'm reading. What do I think people should read? I told you that. What was the other part? Um, and then, Currently reading Desert Island book. Oh my yeah. Desert Island book. Ooh. Ooh. I, uh, can I can I say like I have like an academic Desert Island book and then like a hood Desert Island book. <laughs> like they ain't got nothing to do with academics. Yeah. Okay. And then a biblical one. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. So my biblical one will probably still probably be um the crushing and also um when women pray talks about these different women in the bible and how they pray it's like a really woman empowerment type of piece but for women in the church and i think just embracing your power anyways right Mm -hmm. and then um (laughs) it's by this is like my hood book ain't got nothing to do with education it's kind of like fanny just escape into it and it's called um the Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier. Okay. It's an old book. I mean, I read it in high school, and I love it, love it, love it. And also with that, it's called Diary um, of a Groupie by Omar, Ty- Omar Tyree. Now, this is way before Instagram models was any even a thing, right? But if you read this, you'll be like, oh, my goodness, yes, yes, this is it. It was, like, before it's time. Right. Okay. So that's kind of like my just like, oh, I just love. And then I think my academic book would um, probably be, um, I just love um, um, reading anything about African-American literature. Obviously, the anthology is dope that I'm reading and that I use in class. Um, But also there's a book called My Grandmother's Hands that talks about how black people carry the remnants of um, enslavement in their bodies and how white people carry um, the remnants of white supremacy in their body, like how it is in our DNA. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's a pretty dope book. So, yeah. Okay. We have to check that out. Yeah. It's called My Grandmother's Hands. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, pretty dope book. Um, and yeah, my mother was an avid reader and she read and just reads, read all sorts of things and like VC Andrews. And I mean, and also like horror, I'm a big horror fan. It's Halloween. Happy oh, Halloween, okay. everybody. And so I love <laughs> it and Interview with a Vampire oh, yes. and just some of those really, yeah. 
I mean, and it is long, so you got to really be, <laughs> take your time. And it's better than a movie. The movie is good. The original movie is good. The remake is good, but the book is even better. So. Yeah, it was definitely worth the read. I've read that one as well. There you go. Yeah. Stephen King is just dope anyway. He's yeah. just a good John Gresham. I'm kind of like old, like, you know, The Firm and just all those old books. And it's because I and my mom, like I said, read V.C. Andrews. So it's kind of growing up reading those and some black those were like all white authors but like black authors were omar tyree zane um terry mcmillan like these are you know and these are classic older you know novelists um so yeah awesome well thank you so much for coming on the show today i really appreciate your time thank you and thank you for having me and um i am just honored to have been here so there we go Thank you for joining us for this episode of Closing the Gap. If you like this show, subscribe on Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram at MVSTEMCTE, on Twitter at MidValleySTEM, and online at MidValleySTEM.org. Until next time, keep progressing.